You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and they began, he began to teach them. And here's what he said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray one more time. Father, I just... I want to sit back and once again say that, that Lord, we desperately need you. Um, unless your spirit is at work here, this will just be nothing more than a talk. And so, Holy Spirit, please move mightily in our midst, capture our attention, our imaginations, take your word that is active and living and drive it deep into our hearts and transform us from the inside out uh, for our good and your glory. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Happiness is the motive of every it is a motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. So said the theologian and mathematician Blaise Pascal. And he's right, isn't he? I mean, one thing that we all have in common today is that every single person in here is seeking happiness. It's why we do what we do. Uh, you want to be happy. I want to be happy. Every human seeks happiness. This is why if you were to Google, how can I be, the number two response that the Google autocorrect gives you is right behind the song, How Can I Be Sure, which is a song by the Rascals that I've never heard in my life. But right behind that, the number one thing that, that people are asking Google is, how can I be happy? You see it, it's ahead of how can I be even a better person? I don't care so much about that, right? Or how can I be rich? Even in front of how can I be saved? People want to know how can I be happy? Now, if you Google that, don't do it right now, but if you did, it would produce 7.4 billion results. Think about that. That's how many articles and how much, how many resources are out there devoted to trying to help you and I figure out how in the world can we actually be Happy. So literally, happiness is something that each of us are searching for, and yet, by and large, as a society, we're still a pretty unhappy people, aren't we? I mean, according to the most recent statistics, one in ten Americans over the age of 12 are currently clinically depressed. There are over 40 brand names of antidepressant drugs on the market, and in the past 15 years, the use of those medications have increased by 400%, according to Harvard Medical. Needless to say... Despite all the technology, 
despite all the therapy and the money and the medication in a nation that was built on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, many of us still feel like we're simply chasing after the wind. We're just like on this treadmill running after something that we feel like we cannot obtain, and even in the church, right? Like, like even in, in a situation like this, right? Behind that smile and that, hey, how are you? Like, oh, I'm great. Like, blessed brother, right? Like better than I deserve. Like behind all of that, smiling and, and giddiness is still this kind of low-grade sense of anxiety and depression and cynicism that has become the norm. So the question again is, how can I be happy? In the midst of the fears and the troubles and the hurts that we face in this life, in the midst of a world that involves loss and suffering and death and sickness and pain and disappointment, a world that, yes, is filled with pleasure, but even those pleasures, don't they? They, they just seem to, to fade away. How can I find true and lasting happiness? And to help us answer that question, what I want to do this morning is I want to look at the greatest sermon that has ever been preached by the happiest man who has ever lived, a man who goes by the name of Jesus. And I know that whenever I say that, some of you roll your eyes and you're like, okay, yeah, of course, Jesus. But I think that is because for many of us, when we think of Jesus, we, we look at him kind of like this, this Catholic painting of Jesus that is in the Sistine Chapel that I think we can put on the screen for you. I got that? There it is. And so if you notice Jesus, here he is in this picture, and he's, he's pale white. Never mind the fact that he grew up as a Jew in Africa. Uh, he's bone thin, despite the fact that he would eat and drink so much that the religious leaders accused him of being a drunkard and a glutton. And above all, in picture after picture that we see of Jesus, typically he's really sad. Never mind the fact that the prophet Isaiah said that when he comes, he is coming to proclaim good news and to anoint our heads with the oil of joy. And so I get it. Because we've seen so many pictures like this, and because for some of us, we have grown up in highly just toxic, legalistic culture, where we have been told that Christianity is actually more about rules to follow than it is about a joy to be found. For many of us, when we think of Jesus, we think, we think of holiness, but we don't really think of happiness. Like we think of things like duty and discipline, but we don't so much think of delight. And listen, if that's where you are, my hope is over the next few months that this perception of Jesus will begin to change as we dive into Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is a collection of his teachings that are here, listen, for the whole purpose of showing you and me how we can be happy, how we can actually be whole. And before we dive into this sermon together, it's important to note that when we read the Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7, what Jesus is ultimately doing here is he is giving us a picture of what life in the kingdom of God looks like. And the reason this is important is because if you were with us over the last seven weeks, you know that what we said is as a church, the reason we exist as a church is to see God's kingdom come and his will be done in Northeast Arkansas as it is in heaven, which sounds great, right? But it's a little bit a- ambiguous. And so like we, we look at that, we're like, okay, what, what exactly does that mean? Jesus, when he came on the scene in Matthew four seventeen, he, he summed up his whole ministry and his whole message by basically saying this, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. This is what Jesus is all about. He says, I'm breaking uh, this new kingdom, God's kingdom into the world. And now I want you to repent. I want you, in other words, to reorient and realign your life, bring it all of it underneath my reign and my rule to live within my kingdom. And that all sounds great. But again, we look at that and we say, but what exactly does that look like? Like, what does it actually mean to reorient our lives, to, to learn to live in and for Jesus and his kingdom? 
And in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, listen, the reason Jesus is giving us this sermon is because he says, let me show you what it looks like. I want to show you what life in the kingdom of God is actually like. And so in light of that, um, I want us to, to dive into the first part of this sermon. And in order for us to really make sense of what Jesus is saying here, we need to make sense of this word that you notice continues to pop up over and over again. And it's this word, blessed, which actually comes from the Greek word makarios, which as you can see on the screen, literally means happiness or flourishing. This is why New Testament scholar Jonathan Pennington, who is actually a professor at the seminary that I attended, in his translation of the Sermon on the Mount, he, he replaces the word blessed with the word flourishing. This is actually a better translation for our purposes as he says this um, in Matthew 5, 3, flourishing are the poor in spirit, flourishing are those who mourn. Flourishing are the meek. Flourishing are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's a little bit clunky, but, but hopefully you get the point. To understand what Jesus is getting at here, you have to understand when he uses this word blessed, he's not saying do this stuff and then you will be blessed. That's what we think often in this English translation. But rather, what Jesus is saying when he uses the word blessed is, look, he is showing you and me, he has given us a vision of fullness. He's given us a a vision of, of happiness and wholeness. He's showing us how to experience human flourishing. And so we should probably listen up this morning for those of us who have been looking for it and cannot find it. And what's interesting to me here, what's fascinating is, as we look at Jesus' list of how to live a happy life, as we look at what has historically been called the Beatitudes, what we quickly discover is that Jesus' vision for human flourishing is much different than our vision for human flourishing. Jesus' vision for happiness and wholeness is much different than our vision. In fact, if you look at verse 3, isn't it interesting that in a sermon on happiness, Jesus doesn't open with flourishing are the fool in spirit. But instead, he says, blessed are, flourishing are the poor in spirit. In my opinion, and I'm not a preaching expert, that's a terrible way to start a sermon. And yet, this is the way Jesus decides to start. I can just imagine people getting up and leaving at this point. Like, this guy clearly don't know anything about happiness. Blessed are the poor in spirit, which literally means this. If you want to be happy rather than walking around with a spiritual swagger or this self-sufficient mentality, you instead realize just how weak and needy you are before God. See, the opposite of, of, of poor in spirit is not rich in spirit. The opposite of poor in spirit is proud in spirit. It means you've come to a place where you honestly are a little bit impressed with yourself, spiritually speaking. You come to a place where it's like, I don't really pray. I don't read the Bible. I don't even see my need for community because to be quite honest, like I've kind of figured this whole thing out for myself. I mean, sure, like there was, you know, 2014, like I made some mistakes back then, but overall, like I'm a pretty good person. I'm a pretty good dude or I'm a pretty good gal. And therefore, yes, honestly, though I may not ever say this out loud in my heart, I truly believe that I've got what it takes to get me where I need to go. That's what it means to be proud and spirit. And according to Jesus, he says, look, though in America, you're going to be applauded for that. Like, way to go. Like, you're a real man. Or like, you can really pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You're self-sufficient. Jesus says, here's the reality. You want to be miserable? That's the way miserable people live. Jesus says, on the flip side, if you want to be happy, you want to be whole, you have to outgrow that mentality. 
You have to come to a place where you realize your resources and your education and your talents and your gifts and your good works are not enough to cut it. Like it's not enough. You have to come to a place where you realize that every second of every day you stand in need of the grace and mercy of God. Like that's what it means to be poor in spirit. And if you notice, according to Jesus, he says, these are the ones who belong to the kingdom of God. Why? Because these are the people who run to Jesus in their neediness. And as a result, he says, these are the ones who are happy. These are the ones who will flourish and thrive. Secondly, he goes on to say, blessed are those who mourn. How counterintuitive is that? Happy are you who grieve. Now, in our culture, whenever we begin to feel pain, when we begin to feel sorrow, what's one of the first things we do? We try to numb that pain. This is why we veg out on Netflix. It's why we mindlessly scroll through social media. This is why people are addicted to things like pornography and pills and alcohol. Because as soon as we begin to feel just a tinge of sorrow, we've got to turn that off just as soon as possible. Right? So we've been taught it from the time we were kids. You fall down, you hurt your knee. Don't cry, don't cry. But Jesus is actually, you want to be happy. You want to flourish. You have to cry. Like you have to mourn. You have to grieve. You need to pay attention to the brokenness that is in you and around you, which means, listen, you need to be relationally connected enough to people that you know the pain they're experiencing and then you enter into that pain. And when you do, Jesus says you'll be happy. Why? Because you'll be comforted by God himself. This isn't like it's a sentimental hallmark comfort. This is a mighty comfort. He goes on next and he says, blessed are the meek. Or your translation might say, blessed are the humble. This is becoming increasingly harder to do in our age. I read a statistic this past week that said that, that the average, or I'm sorry, uh, every one out of four teenagers believe they're going to grow up to be big and famous. Think about that. Like they're thinking about it. Not only do they think like I want to be famous, but they believe I will grow up to be big and famous. We are now living in what sociologists say is the most me-centered generation of all time. Hence the obsession with the selfie. Right? Where we take our phones and, and, and we, you know, take a picture of ourselves. And, and then, of course, like, you know, we, we stand in a way where our gut's kind of sucked in. We look like maybe we've got some six-pack abs. Right? And we kind of... Push your arms out like that, maybe a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, did you flexing? No, I ain't flexing, bro. Like, yeah, it's natural. That doesn't look natural, right? And so you throw that filter on, get yourself a nice tan. It's like last time I saw that dude, he was pasty white. But he looks like he's been in the beach for years in that picture, right? And then what do we do with the picture? We throw it online for people to like and tell us how awesome we are. And nobody's questioning this. Like it's become so common for us to take pictures of ourselves and then throw them online just for the purpose of people telling us that we're great. And I know some of you right now, like you're like, okay, deleting the selfie I took this morning, right? Like some of you, I know you came in and you're like, right? Like, you know, at church, hashtag blessed, right? It's like, and listen, if that's you, like, I'm glad you're here. But if you really want to be glad you're here. If you want to be happy, it's not going to come from filtering or positioning yourself in such a way that you get more recognition. But rather, according to Jesus, you get happy by learning what Tim Keller calls the freedom of self-forgetfulness. Happiness comes through humility. And humility means what? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. Jesus says these are the ones who will be happy. 
He says, when the kingdom of heaven unfolds, these are the ones who will inherit the earth. He goes on next and he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Which again, that's not really a positive thing. If you are hungering or thirsting for something, what does that mean? You want something you don't currently have. You're empty. You're parched. I think of David's words in the psalm where he says, as a deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you, God. We make that a cute verse. We put it on a picture, right? We sew it into something or on its coffee mug or a t-shirt. But that's not a cute verse. It's an agonizing verse. David says, little, you want to know what my soul is like? When I feel like I'm distanced from the presence of God, I'm like this little deer that is drying up and dying in the desert, feverishly searching for water. That's how much I need Jesus. That's how much I need God. Like That's what David is getting at here. And what Jesus is saying here is, listen, like you want to be happy? You need to long for me like that. And if you will pursue me like that, he says, you will what? You'll be filled. You won't be stuffed, but you'll be filled. You will be satisfied. Some of you may remember I was, I think it was a couple years ago, I was sharing a story about the uh, recording artist Moby. And um, in this podcast, Moby was talking about how the moment he was in his life when he was most depressed and most suicidal was at the height of his career. And what had happened, he tells the stories, he said that he had just won an award that was like basically recognized him as like the top recording artist at that time. And after the ceremony, he said that he was up at the tippity top of this hotel in Barcelona. And it's like one of these, these hotels, you have to take an elevator to get to another elevator, to another elevator. And there's four rooms up there. He's in one, John Bon Jovi's in another, Madonna in another, and then P. Diddy in the final, last room. And they're throwing a party. And literally, he tells the guy interviewing him... If the window would have been big enough, I would have jumped out and killed myself that night. And the interviewer's like, well, what are you talking about, man? Like, you just won this award that was like, you're the man. Like, you, you had accomplished all your goals. And Moby said, exactly. He said, that's why I was so depressed, because I had worked my tail off. I'd worked so hard to get this thing that I believed if I get it, then I'll be happy. And then I realized it didn't do anything for me. And I just thought, well, what else is there to live for? Now, how is that, Paul? How is it possible for people like Moby to fulfill their goals and still feel so miserable inside? You want to know how it's possible? Because you and I were created with eternity in our hearts. According to Ecclesiastes 3.11, you and I were created for something that cannot fade, that cannot be taken away, something that is eternal. And listen, guys, only God will fit that bill. And if you don't realize that, listen, you... You know what I'm about to say is true. I'm not, I'm not making this up. If you make anything other than God your pursuit, if you make things like sex and money and fame in your career your ultimate pursuit, what will happen is you will try to fulfill these, these infinite desires with finite things. And it won't work. You will be left empty. So Jesus comes on the scene and says, you want to be happy? Pursue me. Another place in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, seek first my kingdom and you will be fulfilled. Next, and this one's hard. Blessed are the merciful. In other words, you want to be happy? Be quick to forgive the people who hurt you. Rather than holding a grudge or becoming bitter when you are sinned against, as hard as it is, Jesus says you want to be happy. If you want to be whole, you need to come to a place where you actually want what's best, even for the people who deserve it the least. And I'll just be honest with you, like, this is a huge struggle for me. Huge struggle for me. I, I was 
Two weeks ago, I, I, I was driving on Highway 49 to Jonesboro. And if you've ever been on Highway 49, like between 7.30 and 8, you know, it's like the NASCAR, Daytona 500. Is that right? That's right what phrasing, Daytona 500? Okay. It's like, it's like a race. It's like a race, what I'm trying to say. And uh, I've recently come to a place in my life of, of, of heightened spiritual maturity. I've decided I'm no longer going to speed, right? I mean, it's a, I've turned over a new leaf. It's like I'm growing up. And so I am driving on the way to Jonesboro, and I'm trying to stay the speed limit. And all of a sudden, somebody just comes flying by me, right? And, and they had to at least be going 10 mile per hour over, right? I mean, because I'm going right at the speed limit, you know, right at it. And they go flying by me. Here's my first thought. My first thought was not, oh, man, I bet that person's late for work. God, please help them to make it safely to work. You know, my first thought was not like, oh, man, I bet someone's in trouble. Maybe they're on the way to the emergency room. Like, God, please bring healing to whoever. You know, my first thought was, I hope that fool gets pulled over by a police officer. <laughs> it really was. And apparently God heard my cries because about three miles up the road, I get there and this cat's been pulled over by a police officer. And here's the thing. When I, when I, when I drove by, I just wanted to get a look at him first and figure what kind of guy drives that fast. And then also I, I was hoping, I really hope, please see my car driving past you. So that way, you know that man, that, that it pays to go the speed limit, right? Like, like I'm going to beat you to where you are. Like I really was thinking like, good man, like you jerk, you get what you deserve. Right? Like that, that was honestly like my mindset. And I know some of you are judging me right now, so you can practice forgiving as well and being merciful towards me, okay? <laughs> but isn't it so easy to just say, like, man, like, let's punish people for their bad decisions. Like, yeah, like, man, what goes around comes around. Like, you get what you deserve. Like, that's the way we all want it. We want grace for me, justice for you. And Jesus says, man, if that's where you are, you need to know you're not going to be happy living that way. You're never going to flourish. And therefore, rather than holding a grudge or celebrating the failures of others or living with this mentality, if you made your bed, now lay in it. You want to be happy, you've got to seek to show compassion, even to those who deserve it the least. And next, he says what might be the only positive thing in this whole list. And actually, when you understand the end of the list, it's really not that positive. There's negative connotations of this too. But he says, blessed are the pure in heart. But another way, happy is the person of integrity, the person who is the same on the inside as they are on the outside, the person who's the same behind closed doors as they are in public, the person who's not just playing the role of a godly man or a godly woman, that they really are a godly man or a godly woman. He says, this is the kind of person who will see God, and therefore they'll be happy. And next he goes on and he says, blessed are they or flourishing are they who are the peacemakers, Notice in here, by the way, Jesus does not say, blessed are the peacekeepers. He doesn't say, blessed are the people who avoid conflict at all costs. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. Those, in other words, who are willing to give up their right to be right. Those who are willing to give up their right to get in the last word in order to prove their point. And this is hard for me. Even last night, my wife and I, we got, in, uh, got into a fight, or we'll, we'll call it a heated discussion, because that sounds a little bit more spiritual. <laughs> and it was, oh, you know what it was over? You know what it was over, Aiden? It was over chicken bones. It really was. And um, we had uh, just smoked a chicken, and, and we were done with it, except for that, the, the little carcass that was sitting there. And, and I, uh, 
I said, well, I guess I'm going to go throw this, you know, behind the fence. And, um, and uh, she said, oh, you can't do that. That's going to make some good, some good, uh, what, chicken broth. And I was like, what? And she said, no, it's going to make some good chicken broth. I need you to wrap that up in aluminum foil and save it. I said, Megan, we've got stuff we've been saving in our freezer for four years that we've never used, you know, for chicken broth or beef broth or whatever else. And that got us into an argument. And then all of a sudden I'm trying to prove her wrong. And, and then I went to go work on my sermon. And I'm like, dang, okay, I got to go ask for my wife to forgive me because I'm just, I've got to be right. I've got to be right. And what Jesus says in here is, man, that's just not the way to live. Like, you want to be happy? Don't give yourself to winning battles. But give yourself to making peace. Right? Don't give yourself to, I'm not saying give yourself, don't, don't try to avoid conflict, but engage conflict. Engage it for the purpose of reconciliation. Go headlong into it, not for the purpose of proving yourself to be the better man or the better woman, but for the purpose of restoring in the situation what is broken. And what happens if you do this? What does Jesus say? Those are the people who are called the children of God. Why are they called the children of God? Because that's what God's like. You want to know what God's like? He's a peacemaker. He is pursuing reconciliation at all costs. And one way of knowing that you have been the product of his grace as you begin to extend it to others. You show him the same, show others the same mercy. You show the same peace that he has extended to you. Finally, he kind of groups us together. This is blessed are those who are persecuted, insulted, and slandered. Those who say false things about you. He says, I mean, you're going to be blessed. People say false things about you. You actually be blessed. Isn't that a crazy statement? I mean, is there anything that sucks worse than when people begin to say things about you that aren't true? And yet Jesus says, you want to be happy? Blessed are those who are persecuted, insulted, and slandered. Listen, here's the thing, guys, and please hear this. Despite what maybe you have heard from some other pastor, if you decide to follow Jesus, you will suffer. You will. In the words of Paul in 2 Timothy 2, everyone who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. Will be persecuted. As an old World War II vet once said, you know you're flying over the right target when you're getting shot at. If you truly are following Christ, you're going to get shot at. And I don't mean physically. That may happen. But our place, it, it probably means verbally. It probably means a cold shoulder. It probably means you're going to be made to feel stupid, silly, close-minded, dumb, you're going to be rejected. You're going to be mistreated. But here Jesus says, if you will live this way, if you'll find yourself persecuted for my name's sake. And by the way, please hear this. He doesn't say, if you'll be persecuted because you're a jerk or because you always have to be right or because you're annoying. Some people are made fun of as Christians and it's not because you're pursuing holiness. You're just annoying, right? And so he says, but if you find yourself persecuted because you're pursuing holiness, because you're pursuing me, then you will be happy. The kingdom will be yours. You will be whole. Now, there's a lot more I could say on this. I actually, back in 2013 or 14, you may remember this, I did a whole sermon on the, uh, I mean, a whole sermon series just on the Beatitudes. So there's a lot that can be said on this. But I wanted to pull them all together and group them together in our first sermon in this series because I want you to see two things. Just two general thoughts and then we'll be done. Let's be pretty quick. But the first thing I want to say is this, is when you look at this list, what I want you to notice is that according to Jesus, the entrance into happiness is very low and it's cross-shaped. The entrance in, look back at Jesus' list. The entrance into happiness 
into human flourishing, into the life that you and I and every human being is longing for is very low. Look at the list. Poverty, persecution, mourning, giving up your right to be right, even when you know you probably are right. Here's Jesus' point. Please don't miss this, guys. Nobody swaggers into the kingdom of God. You crawl into the kingdom. The entrance into happiness is very low. And listen, it's cross-shaped. And here's what I mean by that. If you look in Matthew 5, verse 1, it says this again. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside. And he sat down. You and me, we read that on on the morning we're doing our quiet time, mountainside, okay, boring, verse 2, right? Doesn't mean anything to us. But to a first century Jew to read that Jesus went up on a mountainside, they would have immediately gone to whenever Moses went up on Mount Sinai. They would have immediately remembered the story of whenever Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, and then he went up on Mount Sinai, he received the Ten Commandments of God, the instructions from him, and then came back down and taught Israel how to live. Now, here's what's interesting. We often miss this. It's so easy for us to look and say, oh, the God of the New Testament, grace, God of the Old Testament, all law. Yes, there are a bunch of laws and rules in the Old Testament, but why does God give the laws and rules? I've been reading Deuteronomy lately in my quiet time. Over and over and over, God says, I've given you the laws, I've given you the decrees. Why? So that you can prosper, so that you can be happy, so that you can be fulfilled. The problem is, however, is Israel didn't follow the commands. They screwed up all the time. They could not get it right. And what's amazing is rather than God killing them off, he comes and he kills off his son instead. He sends Jesus Christ to come and to live a perfect sinless life that none of us could ever live, fulfilling the righteous requirement of God. He then goes to the cross and he sheds his blood for you and for me. And then he raises from the dead so that now when we trust in him, rather than staying enslaved by sin and death and hell, we too can receive the freedom and the forgiveness and the fulfillment that we are longing for. And so this is what I mean when I say that, that the entrance into happiness, it is very low and it is cross-shaped. Because when you read the Sermon on the Mount, look, what it's meant to do is point us towards our need for Jesus, the one who is the true and better Moses. When we read the Sermon on the Mount, as we will continue to do over the next three months, what I want you to see is Jesus is not just the sage of the world. Many people think Jesus is a great, wise, moral teacher. People who don't even believe Jesus is God, Right? All throughout, Thomas Jefferson, Oprah Winfrey, I mean, they all believe he's a great, wise teacher. But what I hope you to see is Jesus is not just the sage of the world, he is the savior of the world. Which means he didn't just come to give you life lessons, he came to give you life. Full life, deep life, abundant life. Listen, you're longing for it. You're longing for it. You're looking everywhere for it. And Jesus says, look to me. Here's what's amazing about this. You don't even have to work for it today. You don't have to earn it. Despite what you've been told, guys, Christianity, it is not for the self-sufficient. Does that make sense? Like Christianity is not a religion for people who feel like they're strong and have their life kind of, you know, by the tail. Like it's not what Christianity is for. Jesus did not come to gather the good in Mark 2, 17. He says, I came for the bad. I came for those who know they're sick. I came not for the righteous, but for the sinners. 
And, and so listen, if you're here today, please hear me. If you are here and you are genuinely impressed with yourself, you kind of find yourself maybe even looking down at other people in the room today, like, man, I'm glad I'm not like that person. If you feel confident in your own abilities, if you feel like, man, yeah, I actually think if I died right now, the good's outweighed the bad, God would let me on in because I've been a pretty good dude, pretty good. And listen, Jesus actually has nothing for you. He has nothing for you. But if instead you will go to Jesus as poor, the promise from scriptures is he will make you rich in him. If you will go to him as weak, he will make you strong. If you go as foolish, he will make you wise. If you go and you admit that you are guilty, he will make you righteous. If you go dirty, he will make you clean. If you go lonely, you will know you are loved. If you go as one who knows you are worthless in yourself, you will receive value. If you go feeling hopelessly lost, you will be found. Jeff Schulte, who has had a big influence on me and the pastors of this church, says this, the only thing God needs from you is your neediness. This is the great paradox of the gospel. That all we need in order to experience the salvation and the satisfaction we long for is to go to Jesus with our need and know that when we do, you know what he'll do? He'll give you a new heart. Some of you have no desire to live this out and it's because you need a new heart. You don't just need to like hear this sermon today and go, okay, I'm going to try harder to want to be a peacemaker. Come on, do it. You, like, you need a new heart. Go to Jesus with your need. He'll give you a new heart. And listen, he'll give you the spirit who will empower you to live this life out so that you can experience true human flourishing. This is what the Sermon on the Mount shows us. It's the first thing we see, that the entrance into true happiness is very low in cross shape. And then finally, what I would say will be done is this. Some of you, you're hearing this right now, and you're saying, okay, Jared, that's all great, but man, like I've, I've given my life to Jesus. I'm following him, but I still, I just don't feel at all. I don't feel happy at all. I don't feel whole at all. I don't feel like I'm experiencing any sort of flourishing in, in, inwardly in my life. I, I don't feel this. And, and so what do you have for me? And this is the second thing I think that we need to take away from the text today, and it's this. You cannot know the truth of Jesus' words until you start to walk in Jesus' ways. In other words, if you really want to experience human flourishing... You have to take what Jesus is teaching here and put it into practice. Whether it's learning to drive a manual transmission, or riding a horse, or putting in an IV, or hitting a baseball, or roofing a house, if you want to really be able to experience what it's like to do those things, you can't just read about it, or listen to someone teach on it, or watch a YouTube video. You actually have to begin to apply the things you are learning to your life. That being said, if you want to experience a life of happiness and wholeness, at some point, guys, look at me, you're going to have to apply this to your life. It's not just enough. Please hear me, guys. This is so important you hear this. It is not enough for you to say, I prayed a prayer at Vacation Bible School. What else does God want from me? I mean, I mark Christian on a survey. They, you know, are you, you Muslim? you Buddhist? you Christian? I mark Christian. I don't want to go to hell. I already told God I want to go to heaven. Like That's not enough for you to experience happiness and wholeness. You have to begin to take Jesus' words and apply them to your life. This is why Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, he says at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, put these things into practice and life will go well for you. But if you do not put them into practice, you will be like the one who builds your house on sand and the storms will eventually come and it will blow you away. Well, you'll lose everything. And so I don't know what this means for you, but this is between you and God. You've got to figure this out at this point. I know I'm in front of a crowd, but I'm in front of a crowd of individuals. So 
It's now up to you, between you and the Lord, to say, okay, like, what does this mean for me? Maybe for some of you, you have strained relationships. And this week, God's calling you to become a peacemaker. To step forward and to pursue reconciliation with someone who has hurt you. Maybe for some of you, you've been struggling with pride and arrogance. And this week, the Spirit's calling you to respond in humility. Maybe for some of you here, if you're an extrovert like me, that means talking less and listening more this week. For those of you that are introverts, it might mean that you don't look down on all of us who are talking all the time and say stuff that are stupid. If you've been turning a blind eye to brokenness in your life and the world around you, maybe it's time for you to to feel the weight of that, to grieve it, to stop turning a blind eye and saying, oh, somebody else will meet the need. It's time for you to move towards the broken with compassion. Whether it's a kid in your school, someone in your neighborhood at work, a refugee. Maybe for some of you, you know God's calling you to share the gospel, but you've been fearing persecution and rejection this week. What it looks like to apply this is to have a gospel conversation. I don't know what it means for you, but Jesus is the Savior and the Sage of the world who says, look, if you want to be happy, and you all do, if you want to be happy, if you want to flourish, you must look to me. You must crawl in, and then you must begin to apply the words that I've given you here. And so with that being said, as a way of just applying this, here's what I want to do. I want to invite the band to go ahead and come forward, if they will. And we're about to enter into a time of communion. And before we stand up and we partake of communion, I just want to encourage you right here before we leave to to not let this word go in one ear and out the other, but to seek to apply this. First off, I would encourage you to ask yourself this question, just to yourself. Am I truly happy? Am I fulfilled? Am I satisfied? Am I satisfied? What I want to encourage you to do this morning is, is honestly, man, this, this week, um, this has been, it's been a while since I've had a sermon that's been honestly this hard on me. Like I was talking to my wife about this last night. I mean, I, I don't know what it is, man. There's just some things in my life that honestly, like I thought I'd kind of whipped. Um, I kind of, I, I look, I mean, if you were to look at my life, I think for the most part, even my wife would say this, I think those closest to me would say, you mean you just look at the outside of my life for the most part? I mean, not, it's not perfect, but it's, it's in order, I feel. But I just this week have been confronted with my own heart and uh, even found myself last night just kind of at a place like I was just on my knees before the Lord and was just like, man, like, God, like, am I even a Christian? Like, I mean, I was just honestly just being confronted with some, just some, some gross stuff in my own heart and motives behind why I do what I do. And I just want you to know, like, if that's where you are this morning, then praise God, the Sermon on the Mount's doing its work in you that it's supposed to do. Because then what's supposed to happen is, is that shows the Spirit of God's at work in you. And then what's supposed to happen from here is, is we don't sit in guilt and shame, we don't push it aside, but we, we, we realize our weakness and our neediness before God, and then we run to Jesus. And we begin to taste again His grace and His mercy. You know, spiritual maturity, guys, is, is not, spiritual maturity is not you coming to a place where, you, where you, you're like, you know what, I actually need Jesus less and less the older I get because I'm just getting so holy. But it's actually being confronted more and more with your sinfulness and just how much you need Jesus in your life. Now, that's spiritual maturity. And so today, here's what I want to encourage you to do. If, you, if you've been confronted with your own brokenness, your own weakness, your own whatever it is inside of you, own that, take it before the Lord, and then listen, as you come forward, tear off a piece of bread, which represents the body of Christ, dip it in the juice, 
and, and, and taste again the forgiveness, the scandalous love and grace of God that's been poured out for you through Christ. And if you're here and you're a Christian, even if you're not a member of our church, you're invited to participate in this. We have two stations in the front, two in the back, a gluten-free option for you, my back left, your back right. But if you're here and you're not a Christian today, man, I would encourage you, rather than receiving this, receive Christ. Come to him with the empty hands of faith. Stop believing the fairy tale that you're going to be good enough to get into the kingdom of God someday. You do not have whatever you need inside of you to be made right with God. And that's why Jesus had to come and die in your place. And so if you want more information about what that looks like to to fully surrender your life to Christ, I'll be up here. Uh, Adam will be here as well. We'd love to connect with you and talk about next steps. That being said, let's stand together. I'll pray for us, and then we'll partake of communion. And then let's celebrate again the grace of God through one final song before we leave. Father, I thank you so much for everyone who is here this morning. I thank you so much for your word that you have given us. It shows us how to relate to you, how to truly flourish and be happy in this life. I pray that, Lord, that we would look to you as one who actually has a better vision for human flourishing than we do, that we would resist the temptation to try to to do things our way, and that we would all repent this morning, Lord, that we would once again uh, rethink and reorient our entire lives around you and your kingdom. And it's in Christ's name that I pray and ask these things. Amen. Amen.